1: Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. The Phoenix Suns have swept the Denver Nuggets and now are technically four wins away from the NBA Finals. My name is Mike and I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I am doing fucking amazing. Eight down, <laughs> eight to go. Eight down, eight to go. We're halfway there, guys. We're ha- we're halfway there. Yeah, we're allowed amazing. to be allowed to be a little bit confident now. Uh, We have a guest (laughs) joining us. Very, very exciting and a perfect time, I think, to join us on this podcast. First time ever for a post-game podcast, we're having a guest, David Nash, former host of the 7 Seconds or Less podcast. His playoff
2: debut. How are you doing, David? David. I'm doing good, guys. It's uh, nice to join you both after these. As I said to you before, we hit record. I've listened to every one of these. I think it's been amazing that you guys have been churning these out Thankfully, the Suns are giving us plenty to be excited about and you guys plenty to talk about on these pods. But uh, yeah, I'm glad to jump on after clinching the series. Uh, we set this one up a few days ago and uh, I kind of joked that, of course, we'll probably drop the game just to make it a little less exciting to do. But uh, we did it, guys. And and we're here, as Sam said, we're, we're halfway there we to, to the end goal. And that just feels uh, surreal to even consider right now.
1: You
3: know, it's funny you say that about giving us so much to talk about because you're right. But also, (laughs) the first thought I had tonight was, oh my God, this is awesome. The Suns are going to the Western Conference Finals. The second thought I had tonight was, what the hell do we do for the next week? Because it's it's been for the past week. It's just Mike and I, we've been doing these podcasts every two days. I've like blocked all of my free time around. There's a Suns game. Watch the <laughs> but, Suns yeah. game. Talk about the Suns game. And now I have to sit and, and Lakers, uh, sorry, Lakers, Clippers, Jazz haven't even played game four yet. Game four yeah. is tomorrow night.
1: Yeah. And it looks like it might go for a while. It's even almost kind of hard to come on a podcast after wins and just talk about winning because there's no, there's not a lot of adjustments that the Suns needed to make throughout that entire time. So we're just sort of basking in the glory of the wins over and over and over again. But I think right now, after they are now in the Western Conference Finals, is a perfect time to do that. Uh, It's funny because so many things that we talked about this season. Obviously, Sam and I, every episode, at least once a week, every week this season. David on Twitter, writing about it in the newsletter. Now, they they did it. Even with all the inexperience, which I think was a big storyline, And it means a lot, I think, to Suns fans. There was a moment at the end of the game while Chris Paul was being interviewed on TNT, and there was just literally thousands of Suns fans in in the arena, the ball arena, I believe it's called, in Denver, going wild for the Suns winning. And it just means a lot. How did you feel, David, when that final buzzer rang and the Suns actually won?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because that was that was really interesting to see at the end of the game. There, you know, they were chanting. I think half the crowd was chanting MVP, and the other half was crowning, chanting CP3. At the same time, it was all a bit of a mess there when he was doing his post game interview. But you know, I'm willing to admit it. You know, this is the first time in many many years I've been jealous during the Phoenix home games not to be there. Sam, I know you've gone through similar experiences being on on the other coast of the US there and you know, I just haven't missed being on the couch mm-hmm. watching Sun's games for you know, a long time because it, it really hasn't been. You know, you know there hasn't been too much jealousy from the product that's been on the floor. But as someone who watches this team, you know habitually and and probably t- too much to to my uh, you know the rest of my life's disadvantage sometimes. But you know, I've been jealous. And then the the away crowd, like holy shit. You know, we I remember you guys touching on the the Lakers kind of infiltrating our building on on home games like that really felt like a home crowd there and CP3 even mentioned it as much. And then, you know, you see Devin Booker's family in the crowd. You see Chris Paul's family in the crowd with Devin Booker's family. It was hard not to get a little bit emotional about it, to be perfectly honest. It just felt uh, like we're all part of something. And I think the team's done a great job uh, obviously led by Mon- Monty, kind of making this feel like it's it's everyone's playoff run, not just the players on the court.
3: I, just, I love how it's so sentimental and, and means something different to every person. Tons of new fans being sucked into the energy for the first time. Tons of old fans who, who have really chartered the muddy waters of the past 10 years, the past 20 years, the past 50 years who know what this means uh, and could potentially mean for the city if they were to go all the way. And then as you talked about the players, each with their own individual, um, legacies and and histories to, to think about, it's just been an amazing run. And you're right, David, I am jealous. I, I absolutely have got to get out there, uh, next year. That's my plan at some point for sure. Um, but I'm jealous to not be there right now because it looks amazing. I also thought all of our buddy, um, Max McCauley made a great point earlier today. He talked about the Suns, and um, he, well, he talked about the Suns having home court, which we all knew going into the Western Conference Finals. But that because of that home court, those games are going to fall on the Saturday and Thursday nights. The Suns' home games. The road games are going to be on like the Tuesdays and shit. Uh, that's going to be amazing. I mean, that's that's going to be a truly special experience if you have the opportunity to go to the arena for one of those games on a Saturday night, on a Thursday night. I'm sure it's going to be nuts. I I I like can't even begin to imagine. I've never had an experience like that personally. Of just you know because the Suns are my favorite team by far in any sport, and I've never I've never seen a Suns game live to this day. It's kind of crazy. We've been doing this for three years. I've never even seen this team live outside of I've seen them live uh, in New York at MSG and Barclays, but I've never seen them live on their home turf. That just sounds like a spiritual experience, and I I just I'm so excited that we finally get the chance to to see that.
1: Yeah, I think I think I should say, too, uh, I've been to a lot of games personally because I live right next to the arena. But the home crowd now and for the last few games and what it was before is drastically different. And I think credit to Suns fans for really coming out and really showing love the way that they can and and even traveling. I saw people there at the game that I've recognized. I recognized as Phoenix natives. They weren't just people in Denver that happened to be Suns fans. They traveled. They went to that game. They paid for those tickets. They knew that the possibility of a sweep was coming, and they got to see it live and in person. I want to say, too, um, just about the Nuggets real quick. This is a weird game. Uh, Jokic was ejected uh, for just a really dumb mm-hmm. dumb foul on Cameron Payne. I, I personally... Uh, I don't really care about the debate on whether or not he should have been ejected. I just think if you swing recklessly at someone's face, uh, that's probably going to happen at some point. And and regardless of the situation, I think they called it right. But whatever. But I do want to just mention that I do really respect the Nuggets a lot. Obviously, this was a tough series for them. With the injuries going into this series, not a lot of players available not the right guys to defend the suns available and really attacking them on offense was difficult without any really good guard play for their team i went into the lakers series sort of hating lakers fans and the lakers already but i think they really kind of taught me to not enjoy them because of the, uh, the amount of complaining that the lakers did They're i kind of complaining them two weeks later by the throughout way. that so series <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Yes, and I think the Nuggets, they just didn't do that. I really respected the way they acted, and even Jokic's foul, as um, reckless as it was, I don't think it was intentional in in any way. Uh, It was just stupid and reckless, and yeah, that's almost just as bad, Uh, but I do just, I do want to say I just respect the Nuggets in a lot of ways, in a way, in ways that maybe I didn't really for the Lakers, and so shout out to them. Um, Yeah, but what do you think, David?
2: Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well there in terms of the respect between the two different series. You know, I think I feel pretty similar to you on, on both sides, both the Lakers and the Nuggets. You know, it certainly helps. Not to say that the Lakers don't have some great people covering them, but you know, I thought T.J. on your pod. Uh, before this series started was was amazing, mm. and and Ryan Blackburn's another person that covers them on Twitter, so it certainly helps when there's you know good people covering the team. But outside of that, I just think that they're a much more likable team. You know, Jokic for whatever happened today. You know, I, I was pretty heated in the moment and thought that it was pretty rec- reckless and, and silly. Uh, I, I calmed down a little bit, even myself afterwards. You know, it certainly helped seeing the way he reacted afterwards mm-hmm. going up to campaign yes. and, and kind of apologising. I thought that was a, a important part of the process, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I think I said it after the game, hard not to acknowledge them, where they've come from. You know, we can only beat who are in front of us. Um, but, you know... They were missing some pretty key pieces. Jamal Murray obviously being the biggest one, and they would have been, you know, right in contention uh, if he didn't go down. But then even little things like Barton not starting the series, PJ Dozier never seeing the court, you know, it kind of hurt the whole rotation. Uh, you know, Michael Porter Jr. was expected to be the second guy, and Aaron Gordon was expected to be the third when they kind of traded for him to be, you know, the fourth or fifth best guy in their starting unit. So yeah, they they had a really tough season and, and grinded it out. you know. Not very fair to go out in a sweep in the second round, but you know, as we all know, NBA basketball isn't very fair and it, it feels pretty good to be on the other side of it for once to be honest.
3: I think we're all on the same page on the Jokic thing. I'm, I'm glad, David, you mentioned that about seeing his reaction and going up to, to Cam and, and saying, hey, it's nothing personal or, or whatever he said, but even after he was ejected when it would have been very easy for him to not take the high road there, um, kind of calmed me down as well. That's not, you know, I think we've all been there losing our cool in the heat of a moment. And it's not something that I hold against Jokic like going forward. I think the officials made a tough call, but ultimately a fair call would look to me like a more or less by the book flagrant, too. Um, But yeah, I, I, that Nuggets team. I mean, I think what the only things I come away with from that series, uh, Jokic is clearly not the issue. Um, I've seen like some Nuggets fans get riled up because a couple guys you mentioned. Like we all follow the same guys, so we see the those uh, Nuggets reporters post their analysis and um, and their quotes from the game and their reporting, and fans will interact with them. And I've seen some Nuggets fans get riled up and say, "Oh, we should fire Coach Malone." And it's like, well, he just didn't have the talent. Like, like I know we've said. There was no scheme basically that he employed that could stop the Suns uh, offense from just rolling throughout these four games. But like, look at what he had to deal with. There was nothing, there was no adjustment he could make that would have worked. So, you know, I don't think it's his fault. I I, I just don't think any one person in that Denver organization necessarily should shoulder the blame here. Um, This series maybe does make me think of MPJ in a slightly different way, if I'm being honest. That might be the only negative takeaway I have towards that franchise. Not that I hate him or anything. He's very young. This was um, his second season, but, uh, but yeah, that might be the only thing. Otherwise they're going to be totally fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. But I think to the point that you're making about the players and the adjustments being made on the opposite end of that is the Phoenix Suns, And you have Monty Williams, who I think has been brilliant throughout the playoffs in his adjustments and what he's done and I want to give him credit for what he's done in these in these playoffs because it's it's really to be able to play two drastically different teams in the Lakers and the Nuggets and two all-time great players obviously in LeBron James and then currently an MVP in Jokic we'll see where his career goes but he's got an MVP there's not a lot of players with those uh, so credit to, to that team as well but Monte just made all the right moves he put all the guys in the right positions to score they were prepared on every possession to play the proper defense against who they were playing against. But I think another point on top of that, James Jones gave him the players who were capable of understanding adjustments, whether it be game to game or mid-game adjustments. Because when you talk about the Nuggets not necessarily having the guys, it's not just the talent. It's also the mi- mind, the mindset, the the ability to understand the game At the level that a lot of the players on the Suns do, I think the what the Suns did in making adjustments mid-game is pretty difficult. And I just think, you know, looking at the guys up and down the roster, whether it be Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Jay Crowder, even DeAndre Ayton, who you know maybe at times we doubted, consistently they were coming through. Uh, on adjustments and changes to ensure that the other team could never quite get the edge. And I just want to give credit to them because I was really impressed. I know, David, you've been tracking a lot of the adjustments in your newsletter, and I know you had a podcast. And even in spaces earlier today, I'm sure this has impressed you as well, right?
2: It really has. And and uh, I guess starting with Monty, uh, I think it was last game, just looking back to that Lakers series, I think going through this series really made me appreciate the coaching and the adjustments of the Lakers series a hell of a lot more because you know we haven't been drastically challenged in this later series against the Nuggets. If we're being perfectly honest, you know the offense they run was looking much more like their regular season offense. You know, mm-hmm. v- at least very much to me, a lot of the plays that they were running in the half court was was very similar, and then that just made me really impressed by that first series because. They got dragged through the mud in that series. They weren't running any of their normal stuff because the Lakers were so good defensively and knew a lot of it. And the, you know just the, they had the personnel to cancel a lot of that out. So they had to go back to the drawing board and work out an offense that was going to chip away at the Lakers over time uh, that wasn't going to be their normal regular season offense. To have to do that in your first series... You know, with a lot of these guys never playing in the playoffs before and Monty having them ready to do that and the way they came out and won that game one and then eventually won the series. That's just, I don't know, that there's something about that that's ultra impressive to me. And then, you know, on your James Jones point, definitely needs a lot of credit. You know, I joked with Sam on Spaces earlier today you know the, the <laughs> Ryan McDonough stuff is still creeping into the telecast they did it again tonight. I loved
3: I love that you brought that up by the way because that we were really you know we were taking questions we were giving our analysis we were doing our thing but that spiced it <laughs> that spiced it up a little bit
2: they did it again tonight at the very end of the game Mike, saying that Mike it, you know, wasn't there g-
3: so explain yeah, it to him
2: I, yeah I guess it you know it wasn't a lie but they've you know whether it's Zach Lowe in his written pieces or on his podcast uh, on the telecast a few times during this series they keep talking about the fact that he was the architect who drafted Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and technically Mikael Bridges and then James Jones kind of put it all together even though Reggie Miller a couple of times said that Chris Paul landed in their laps and Jay Crowder landed in their laps like it was just it was really off-putting because I think that really discredits The job that James Jones has done, and I guess that's why we love that there's guys like you guys doing podcasts like this (laughs) that are giving a a slightly different perspective to Suns fans to listen to, because, yeah, you know, even James Jones getting Tory Craig, you know, whether you want to say he landed in their lap or not, he still had to go out and get him, (laughs) even though it didn't cost them anything, and, you know, I was looking... Uh, back at something that I wrote last playoffs with the last four teams looking at the rotation players. And I think over 50% of the rotation players in the top eight uh, rotation of, of all four teams were 6'5 to 6'8 wings. And I looked, I don't know with the stats from tonight's game, but I'm sure it's probably pretty similar. If you take Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Jay Crowder, and Torrey Craig, those, uh, and Cam Johnson, I should say too, Those guys, I think, have played something like 55% of the Suns' total minutes in both series so far. Yes, there's five guys there, so of course you're going to expect that they've played a hell of a lot. But as you said, Mike, James gave Monty guys that he could move to. I don't think we expected Tory Craig, for instance, to, uh, at least I know Max and I didn't when we previewed the Nuggets series. We didn't expect him to play as much as he ended up doing in this series. And, and just the fact that Monty's got those guys uh, to interchange in and out and probably would have had Abdul Nader as well if he didn't have the injury that he's got. Uh, huge credit to James Jones in understanding how to build a team which the previous GM did not have.
1: I almost hope he gets hired somewhere now, uh, so that there's another bad team that we could beat up on. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly what Max said. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? At
3: thinking about it more, what Reggie's doing, it might be like a premeditated propaganda mission of some sort so that they can prepare us for Sean Marks winning executive of the year. Has that been, has that been announced yet? Or when is that no. announced? Yeah,
1: no, I haven't seen that yet. I want to ask you guys something, just a re- really simple way of putting this. I want to see if you agree. Um, it seems like we have gotten to the point where you just can't pick on Devin Booker on defense. Now that sounds simple, but I don't I don't know that it's that you can't pick pick on him at all when when he's on defense, or if maybe the teams the Suns played in the playoffs just not quite have the personnel to be able to pick on Devin Booker on defense. So I'd like to hear what you guys think on that, da- David. What do you think?
2: I think it's a little column A, a little column B, Mike. I think, you know, looking at this series in particular, when you look how much the Sons have hunted Michael Porter Jr. You know, I even tweeted it, I think, during the game three. You know, what was happening to Michael Porter Jr. was exactly what people told us Devin Booker was going to have to go through when we tried to take any joy in the last five or six years of, of Devin Booker's career. That's what we kind of got thrown in our face. I think... What we've seen, or at least what I've seen with how much I've commented on Michael Porter Jr., the main defenders coming back are like, yeah, but Jokic made this mistake and Austin Rivers made this mistake and they all compounded Michael Porter Jr.'s mistake. And that's not necessarily untrue. And I think that that holds weight when you compare it to someone like Devin Booker. Devin's... A lot smarter. He knows the scouting report a lot better than Michael Porter Jr. from what I've seen in this series. He fights a lot harder. Whether Michael Porter Jr.'s injury had anything to do with that or not, I'll let other people decide. But just the team built around him, it it insulates a guy like Devin Booker. He knows what his job is, and he can give the required effort to not really get beaten too much in that matchup that he's got because he's got Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges, Chris Paul... DeAndre Ayton, you know, it's it's not a bad four guys to have around you in that starting lineup if you are, I guess, quote unquote, a, an average defender in the NBA. Which I think it's about time we call Devin Booker that, not to uh, criticise him or, or throw him under the bus, but I think if you uh, use that, it's it's kind of a compliment compared to what he was. Called in the past of being a a bad defender or, Mm -hmm. you know, worse, someone that would get picked on in a series like Michael Porter Jr. And we just didn't really see that. There were a few instances today where they got by Devin Booker, but, you know, we're not seeing it relentlessly like we did with Michael Porter Jr. Same time, Nuggets didn't have a guy like Chris Paul who was just going at the throat constantly to set up against Michael Porter Jr. Uh, You know, it would be interesting if a team, and maybe we'll see it still going forward, if a team. You know, really put all their eggs into that basket of, of going at Devin booker as the weak link in the starting lineup but yeah uh, he's he's too proud and, and too good sorry sam jump in
3: no sorry i i think that that team would be uh the paperclips would be the ones who are likely to do that um it's funny because i think we've gotten to a point where i actually saw denver trying to target chris paul in this game which is not easy like it's it's not easy to do that either um but he's been kind of in that off-ball helper role now for a few years. The Suns try and hide him a little bit away from the initial actions because he's just so small and, and also obviously old. Um, I think if if there's yeah. anyone teams try to target, it's kind of more so Chris Paul than Booker at this point. But to the original point, Booker has immensely improved. And I think we lose sight often when we talk about defense in this league. Like It's so black and white the way we talk about defense. And I understand it's hard because none of the metrics are entirely reliable so it turns into this conversation of player x is good player y is bad but like if you look at various superstars while it is a valid point to talk about hey your guard needs to not just score they need to also you know they need to have a two way impact in order to get far in the playoffs i think you know there's like there's Trey Young and then there's Damian Lillard and then there's Devin Booker and and for years there has been varying levels of bad and like i think there's there are many shades between those three players that i just listed like the insinuation that booker was ever on trey young levels would be ridiculous and and now would be that he's improved even more especially absurd so it's like yeah he he's he was really bad there for a couple years and the past couple years he's been kind of bad and then i agree with you david now i think he's 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 more or less average he's really come a long way
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire?
1: You need indeed. Let's take a minute to even talk about that. Not a game changer, empty stats, looter in a riot, uh, should have played FIBA World Cup. Uh, doesn't make his teammates better, Lou Williams-type player, cursed. People are people are saying he's cursed. That's I mean, That was we, always sh- stupid. Yeah. We, we should take a moment to just appreciate that in his first playoffs ever, uh, Devin Booker uh, has made it to the Western Conference Finals and only lost two games in order to get there. Uh, a pretty remarkable accomplishment for such a young player. And to see his growth and what he's become has been really fun first of all entertaining ultimately that's what basketball is it's entertaining but also kind of satisfying I think for Suns fans who has have spent a lot of time sort of defending him as a player and trying to get people to open their eyes to what he was and what he could be I have found it very satisfying to see this playoff run where I think he's just been very very it's it's almost like surgical in how he's played, which I think is partially the influence on Chris Paul, who, of course, we need to talk about after this. But I have very much enjoyed watching Devin Booker get to this point. David, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think the word that I would use would be cathartic. You know, as you said, Mike, we, we had to wait. We had to kind of bite our time while all these insults were getting thrown at Booker because, you know, if we tried to go back at any of them, the... the you know, very easy comeback was well. He hasn't played in the playoffs yet. Just wait and see. And now we have. You know, we've got two series in the bank. Uh, they, they've picked up both both series so far in his first ever playoffs. As you said, Mike, he's in the Western Conference Finals. Which you know, I'm laughing while I'm saying it because you know, it a it's ridiculous from where we've come from, but b it's just amazing for Devon. And you know, I'm looking, pouring over his stats here, and he's just. He's done absolutely everything that you would want from your main scorer in these first two series, and I just can't speak highly enough of him. I'm just, you know, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm thankful for him, and I'm thankful that he's finally been given this opportunity to... you know, show who he was because I think all of us who watch Suns games day in, day out, night in, night out, you know, loss after loss, we could see this. We could see that he didn't have the talent around him, and he was just ready to explode. And it just feels so damn good that he's finally been given the chance to.
3: Um, I I can't even lie to you guys. I am usually pretty good at restraining myself on Twitter, but tonight I figured I had one shot, one one loaded shot, and I had to use it. I added Bomani Jones for that comment about not being a game changer. I was like, you know what, he's gonna block me. I've got one <laughs> shot here, this this is the time I gotta use it. Cause yeah, I mean, come on, like, bullshit, bullshit. And we can move on from, you know, just complete garbage analysis like that, obviously. But uh, but yeah, I, catharsis, uh, or being cathartic, that's the right word, David.
2: And And just to quickly jump in, guys, Jokic you know what Jokic did and him going in as our leader as the star I can't even remember you guys might remember if CP3 was was on the court at that time I'm kind of guessing that he's not because he probably would have been in the thick of it if he was but just seeing him step up as our star as our leader in that moment as well just felt like a really big moment for his career
1: I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, because I, I was watching the game with some family and uh, they were a little worried about him getting in trouble for that. And I just the whole time I was saying, I love this. <laughs> I love this. You love to see him step up for a guy like campaign who everyone knows his story and what he went through to get to where they are. And also someone that the fans just love. And, and and it's it was tough to see him down on the ground at the time, of course, not knowing how bad he's injured. It seems like he's OK. Hopefully nothing's broken there and and Devin Booker stepping up in that moment was really great. There was a stretch in this game, I think. I think you can call it the uh, why you trade for Chris Paul stretch of the game, where he just took over in a way that I don't know that I have seen since he was on the Houston Rockets in the playoffs, I believe in 2018. It was most similar to that to me he talked about it in the post-game inter- interview he mentioned drop defenses and how uh when he was in the Clippers teams went to drop defenses and he wanted to learn how to kill that and that was sort of the mid-range game obviously an, an insane performance for him the most they kept saying it in the broadcast the most he scored in the last three years ended with 37 points insanely efficient only 19 shots to get there and then still of course had seven assists I mean, they they were just dropping back and staying true on shooters and he was killing them over and over and over again. Uh, David, what did you think of Chris Paul's performance tonight?
2: I mean tonight, the series, the playoffs, he's been incredible for this team and, and everything that we could have asked for when they traded for him. Like, look at these four games, twenty five and a half points per game, sixty two percent from the field, seventy five percent from three on, on pretty low volume, didn't miss a free throw all series at five and a half a game, ten point three assists to one point three turnovers, one point five steals, like what what else can you say about the dude's series and then tonight was just the the crescendo of it all, I suppose. He just really put his stamp all over this game. The biggest thing for me was, I don't think I appreciated this enough about Chris Paul, and this is even being a, a huge fan of his, his entire career. I just think that... His ability to switch between scoring and setting up for others and then taking that against a guy, I guess my son's hero, Steve Nash, who in retrospect we always said, you know, didn't score enough when he had to, seeing him flick that switch in a game like this, you said it, Mike, where he just took over. That's the big difference, and that's what I'm gonna remember the playoffs so far and hopefully for the rest of the playoffs because he just senses when the team doesn't have it and he needs to take over and he just hits four buckets in a row i think reggie miller said tonight he hit nine shots in a row during that stretch and that's just incredible to watch when you're a fan of the team uh, and he's not killing your team uh, in previous days gone by
3: i mean he just makes it look so easy like he's running a scrimmage that's what it was tonight and and those averages you threw out for the series phenomenal just totally phenomenal i i really hope i obviously i hope for our sake being suns fans that he can win a ring but also i just like i hope this guy continues to be seen as the great legendary talent he is he continues to shoot up the all-time leaderboards i don't want to think necessarily about where he ranks all time right now but i i see more people kind of waking up to the idea that hey maybe he's top four top five and i like to see that because i i really think he's just been that amazing for the league but um yeah with that post game interview too i thought it was funny because usually players don't like they just don't go into strategy at all uh in a 30 second soundbite with a sideline reporter (laughs) after the game so for him to even talk about like yeah there's this thing called drop coverage i thought Man, this is a guy, like, doesn't this sound like a guy who's just, his eyes are getting wide at the at the thought of that Rudy Gobert drop coverage in the Western Conference Finals, yeah. if it ends up being that, as we can kind of, like, you know, think about the hypotheticals, maybe project forward a little bit, like, that would be pretty good for Chris Paul. It'd be a very difficult team to play in other ways, but that would be pretty good, that aspect of it.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think we should, before we end this podcast, talk about who we'd rather face in the Western Conference Finals. I have a feeling we'd all be on the same page with that one. But I want to get to just a few more guys in this series, at least one more, and then I'll give you guys an opportunity to talk about whoever you guys want as well. But on our last episode, Sam, you and I started out just gushing about DeAndre Ayton and what he's done against the Nuggets in this series. Um, This may be his worst game so far, and still great. Still a really good game for him. I would call this series for him a career-defining series for him up to this point, like in a way that you just sort of understand what he could be and how valuable he can be for a team. We spent a lot of time talking about it, Sam, but David, we haven't yet talked to you about it. I'd love to hear what you thought of DeAndre Ayton in this series.
2: Yeah, it's hard to fault, you know. I mean, obviously, we all knew going into the series that Jokic was going to get his... But that we were going to be super reliant on DeAndre Ayton to, you know, A, stay on the floor and, and B, compete hard against him and make sure that, you know, nothing that he got, you know, came easy. Uh, tonight was probably the first night that he got in a little bit of foul trouble the entire playoffs so far. So that's not bad. One out of eight games when it was something that we were all, you know, pretty shit scared of going into the playoffs, uh, looking at the depth of... Uh, ...behind him at the centre position. Um, But he played Jokic just about as well as you possibly could... You know, Sam, you and I joked during the game today because you uh, noted his verticality uh, on spaces this morning before the game and, you know, straight into the, the game, I think in the first quarter, he showed a perfect example of that on a rotation uh, that the Suns got to stop from. I think Jay Crowder actually may have even blocked the shot after... Um, he did. Yeah. Eight and, yeah, showed that verticality at the rim. He just plays within himself. He doesn't, you know, try and do too much. Um, And and we've seen, and I think you guys have noted just as much as I have in the past few years, when he's given a job and he can just focus on that job, he's pretty amazing at it. And particularly for him to do it now through... Two series, uh, what is it, 10 games total now that we've been able to count on him. Nothing special, nothing flashy. uh, Just the defense against Jokic in particular was, was super, super solid. And probably the other thing that I just want to note from this series versus the Lakers series, some of his finishing in the paint and around the rim in this series was incredible compared to last series. You know, I kind of copped a little bit of flack when I said last series he was basically just doing what the Lakers were giving him, which was getting to the front of the rim and dunk you know, getting open dunks. But this series was a little bit different. You know, there was a few moments where we lent on him to create something in the paint over Jokic. He went to that hook shot a few times and was successful with that. You know, some of his just finishes running down the paint in transition when they hit him on the roll. You know, left hand, right hand, he had some really nice finishes and and looking at the stats here uh 61 again for the four games so pretty consistent (laughs) with his uh season numbers there so yeah i was super impressed we all said it at the start you weren't going to be able to judge him or his defense by jokic's i guess final box score numbers Uh, but he was relatively inefficient in a few of those games and ayton deserves all the credit for that i think
3: i'm mostly just in awe of when we talked about this on spaces but Obviously, a lot of people weren't on that spaces. Um, His ability to stay out of foul trouble again. This was the series. Like, this was the series where they were going to take uh, Aiton out of the game by putting him into foul trouble. Because now, again, we look forward at Utah, uh, the Clippers. Those are teams with phenomenal shooting talents. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, all those guys could theoretically be dangerous to DeAndre Aiton. They could potentially cook him I mean I'm not saying they will I'm saying it's a possibility but if they did it would be through jump shots it would be through pull-up threes it would be through switching and then scoring in the mid-range regardless they're not going to put a lot of pressure on him at the rim that's just not how those two teams operate Gobert is Gobert but even in the way that Gobert plays like he's going to catch lobs that were already open he's not going to foul out Aiden because that's not how Gobert plays so for him to have survived this series playing as much as he did for this to be the first game where he even slightly struggled with foul trouble and now you know that or, or at least you're pretty confident that it's not going to be an issue going forward he's going to be able to stay on the floor he's going to give you those 35 40 minutes that you need from him uh, that's i i can't say enough about how special that is
1: yeah an incredible series career defining so far and he's got still time to make even more impact going forward uh i want to give each of you or both of you a chance here to just just bring up any moment or player from this series that you want to talk about before we move on, because I think there's a lot. It was four games, you know, obviously a short series, as short as they can get uh, nowadays, but there's a still a lot that happened. And and I know there's some players that we've touched on in our other post game episodes but if there's anybody that stands out to either one of you I'm just since I'm putting you on the spot I'll let either one of you jump in uh, and take a moment to talk David goes
3: first since he's our he's <laughs> okay. our guest.
1: Okay David I guess we're putting you <laughs> on the spot first is there any other player or any moment that stood out to you
2: it's only fair I put Sam on the spot a few times this morning throwing him (laughs) into some questions so I'm happy to take take the reins on this one I think there's a couple of guys to choose from I'm gonna hope that Sam is going to bring up the other guy that I won't mention here And, and you said moment or player there I'll kind of I guess mesh two into one there looking back at this game four in particular Mike Jay Crowder and his start in this game, like closeout game, sure, it wasn't a, a game that the Suns, you know, had to win, but the way he started just set the tone tonight. And I'm just looking at his overall series stats, you know, 12 points per game. We, we know we're never going to expect Jay to be a 20 point Per game scorer, uh, but he shot fifty four and a half percent from three on five and wow. a half attempts a game. So really bounced back after that Lakers series, uh, and he had four blocks. I think maybe probably should have even been credited with five tonight, which would have been a career high for Jay. But just his defense in that first quarter in particular really set the tone of the Suns weren't going to roll over and and let the the Nuggets out with, you know, a gentleman sweep or something in this series, they they'd came to, to to snatch the series away in four and, and sweep them. And I thought that his leadership uh, in this game in particular, but particularly the series overall and, and the playoffs overall has just been super key. You know, we talk about Chris Paul all the time, uh, but Jay in particular is something, you know, someone that Monty always raves about. And I always try and, you know, pay special attention to that because, you know, for all the good that, you know guys like us do trying to analyze the team every day there's certain things that you know we don't get to see as not being part of the team and and not even being media members At you know and i guess no media members at the moment are allowed in the locker room and stuff but we don't see those little behind the scenes things so whenever monty makes a point to to bring up jay uh, it, it has a lot of weight for me so i just think that he deserves a hell of a lot of credit for the way he finished this series
3: that was a really good choice that's a very good choice and that was the first guy i thought of too i'm not gonna you lie you should have gone um, first sam
1: no that's okay because <laughs> i mean the
3: the guy that i'll bring up i think and i assume it's the other guy david was talking about mikhail bridges yeah um am i right
1: i mean if this You're is right. a starter right. i mean like <laughs> this is a starters
3: series right it was the starters that killed him this was a starter series we, you know we all love campaign we all love cam Johnson. Um, Dario was good this series. Hey, we can say that. Dario was good this series. But, uh, yeah, it was a starter series. Mikhail Bridges bounced back from his Lakers performance, averaged 16 points per game over these four. Did exactly what he needed to. Attacked closeouts, shot the three well, um, defended. You know, he wasn't exactly given uh, or tasked with, <laughs> with a, a defensive assignment as difficult as LeBron James in this one going up against. Um, well, I guess I guess Porter was, you know, at some points making shots, but for the most part, you know, struggled. So, but yeah, I mean, Mikhail was really impressive. Like you said, Mike, starter series. I I mean, these were the guys who they developed that continuity throughout the season, and then this is why you do that. This is why you hope for a clean bill of health and that those guys can develop that so that they can just get rolling in the playoffs, and they absolutely were over the past week.
2: Can I I quickly throw a question both your guys' way? Mm Because I know that you laughed about the fact uh, that Jay Crowder was not in the starting lineup. I think it was in your last episode, Mm -hmm. actually, commenting on the fact that Frank was... I I, I was annoyed at that. I I commented on it just as much as you guys did at the time that they were mucking around and not getting that continuity with Jay because it was bleedingly obvious that he was going to be in the starters when the Suns made the playoffs. Is there a chance... You know, Monty did that on purpose to Jay to keep him hungry and kind of, you know, I guess, keep this attitude from him the, the whole way through the series. Because it's, it's really the only justification I can think of now in hindsight that uh, of why Monty did it.
3: I'm not sure. But what I will say is if there's anyone in the Suns locker room who I really wouldn't want to be mad at me. I wouldn't want Jake I wouldn't want Jake Crowder to be mad at me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. he's he's can be an intense figure well. and I'm sure that that is not a thought that's really running through Monty's head, but that's just me personally. I don't see I,
1: I can't find the rationale there. I think that if there's a documentary about this game, I mean, he should probably say that. Uh Monty Williams should probably say that <laughs> at least to, at least to give the impression that that was the case. But I think it's funny that If you're going to play a player over Jay Crowder in order to motivate him, it's definitely going to be Frank Kaminsky. Like, that's the right choice. (laughs) That's the right choice to pick in order to motivate him because, look, Frank Kaminsky seems like a fun guy to be around. Um, There's a reason he hasn't played at all in the playoffs, and Jay Crowder has been, uh, by some metrics, the best player on the Suns. Obviously, not quite the case, but I think those metrics do mean something uh, when you're looking at them because the Suns are just really, really, really good when he's on the court. In fact, the biggest run that the Nuggets went on in this game was when Jay Crowder was off the court, and I don't think that that was a coincidence. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I think Monty Williams should take the credit for it if he hasn't thought of it yet. Uh, lo- looking forward, right now, as we record this, which we started about 20 minutes after the final buzzer. The Clippers and the Jazz are in, in a 2-1 series. The Clippers just took Game three, Donovan Mitchell apparently is struggling with his ankle a little bit. Mike Conley not quite in the rotation yet. Uh, the clippers looking a little bit better after game three. maybe they have a chance to take another home game and then that hopefully that series goes as long as possible as far as getting these guys rest and making sure everyone's as healthy as possible. when I mean I assume this, I'm just gonna make the assumption when we look at those teams, I think that the Suns match up better against the Jazz, although they're technically playing better at this moment. David, do you agree with that? And Sam, you too, after him?
2: Yeah, I do. I think there's something about the the known quantity of the Jazz. We know they're not going to throw too many surprises at us, and you know we did pretty well against them during the regular season, even though a lot has changed for both teams since then. So, yeah, I'm just going with the... um, You know the known quantity of who the jazz are and how we match up against them it is the better match up as far as i'm concerned you know sam max and i debated about it a little bit this morning and i can definitely understand why you might go the clippers if they can't quite reach their full potential or close to it but manage to somehow get over the jazz um, but I'm just still too scared of the variability in that team and the the star power that they have on it, particularly uh, with Kawhi Leonard. So, yeah, I think you know pound for pound, matchup for matchup, it, it's much better if we go up against the Jazz. What do you think, Sam?
3: What I can say is I would really like uh, uh, potentially up to seven games of a Jay Crowder-Paul George matchup. I think Jay would get in his head. Uh, if you talk about <laughs> the weaknesses for the Clippers, <laughs> I think that's maybe where you start. That would be really fun to see. Um, however... I will concede the Jazz are the better matchup for us. Both of these would be really tough. Both of these would be really tough. You have to be good at different things. You have to be not... That's the thing, is the Suns have been really good to this point, but with teams as with as much offensive firepower as the Jazz and the Clippers now, it's about, it's about being elite. You're one of the four teams remaining. So uh, it's going to be really tough, but I would give the edge to the Jazz being easier.
1: I think the only other reason you would pick the Clippers is home court advantage which the Suns would hold over the Clippers they don't have over the Jazz the Jazz winning one I think it ended up being one more game than the Suns in the regular season but when you look at the Jazz Chris Paul has eliminated them twice that's happened recently Uh, he likes the way that they play defense he likes to play against that style of defense so I think that you have to sort of lean that way um but yeah I think there's and also you know they're not really healthy I mean that's part of it there's they're struggling with health a little bit if they manage to get by the Clippers they might be a little banged up which I think would benefit the Suns not that that's a fun strategy to talk about it's just the truth the Suns have benefited from teams being banged up in the playoffs as every team that makes it to the finals generally does but yeah I I think I, I think that you have to really single out the Jazz for that reason specifically if you start if you start against the Jazz and you start at home, you take one of those first two home games, and if you can win the next two, uh, you know, the two home games for the Jazz, and if you can win the next two in Phoenix, then, I mean, that's exactly what you'd want to do, which I think the Suns could be pretty confident in doing with the way that they've played so far. Um, Just quickly, we haven't done our research. Obviously, we're going to be watching very closely the rest of the semis with those teams. Is there any specific thing that stands out against either of these te- teams as far as maybe something that would be an X factor, if you will, for the Suns for either of these matchups, David.
2: I mean, I think you just mentioned it there health, like we're, you know, as Sam said at the top, you know, we're going to be sitting around waiting, uh, you know, for this series to be over. So uh, the Suns can get going again. I'm certainly going to try and enjoy the rest, but i uh, going to have one eye on this, on this series, knowing that we have to play the other team and, you know I don't want it to be a cop out but I think you said it there Mike you know generally the further you get along in the playoffs you do get some advantages purely through health and and guys being banged up so I kind of want this series to to go on you know ah. uh, Paul George and, and Kawhi have both had their issues all season with kind of um, you know injuries that they've had to deal with as you said uh, Donovan's starting to complain about his ankle again and Conley's been out with the hamstring so you know I know it's not a particularly nuanced point here but I just hope that they keep you know, beating the hell out of each other and that it goes <laughs> as as long as possible. And to that point, I hadn't thought about this until you said it, Mike, but if it is the Jazz that come out, my main concern with the Suns having this much rest is just that game one and coming out a little bit rusty. I feel a bit better about it if we're actually on the road for those first two games and the goal is to just try and pinch one of those first two, get back in a rhythm and then come back and protect home court. So in a weird way, I think for that point, I'll be rooting for the Jazz as well, uh, just knowing how much uh, rest the Suns are going to get from this period, um, even if I am a little bit concerned if it's too much rest.
3: Yeah, I'm... No, I am I would echo David's points. Um, I'm not particularly looking at anything i guess the follow-up question i was going to ask you is so are you worried about if if they beat the hell out of each other for seven games are you worried about the Suns having that rest but you basically answered that question there david i guess yeah I, i guess the reason i'm uh not worried about the rest just for myself is because uh even though chris paul just had the most phenomenal series and we didn't see any physical signs of him grimacing there's always that thought, or, or there was that persistent thought in the back of my mind throughout the past week of what if he's playing through a lot of pain. De- like Definitely that the next week would help him uh, in order to yeah. be fully healthy for that next series. So I have been thinking about that. But, uh, but otherwise, yeah, I, I guess it's a valid concern that they could come out flat initially, though.
1: Yeah, I think the advantage of making sure that... I mean, one of the main bench players just got whacked in the face. Uh, in this game, I think... The advantage of becoming healthy over that time, I think, outweighs any other thing in my mind. And and I, it wouldn't hurt, I think, if, say, the Jazz won the next two games and you just knew the matchup and they were ready to go right away. I don't think that I would be mad about that either. Uh, but tiring one of those teams out doesn't hurt. Uh, maybe they figure something out if they go to seven games, and that makes you a little bit more concerned, but that's not something that I'm totally worried about. The Phoenix Suns have won seven playoff games in a row. 7 playoff games in a row. That's kind of crazy to think about. They won the final 3 games against the Lakers and then they swept the Denver Nuggets. I really I'm really amazed by it overall more than anything else and I'm terrified of that first loss. I've gotten very used to winning in the playoffs, but I just want to just take another moment just to acknowledge how amazing that this team has been. Uh David, I really appreciate you joining us. We're going to let you go now so we can get this one out to people as quickly as possible. Obviously, read David's newsletter. Check out when he records podcasts. David, tell the people about your newsletter a little bit.
2: Yeah, you can subscribe to it at the fourpointplay.substack.com. I'm sure most people listening either follow me or are aware of me on Twitter and maybe choose not to follow me, and that is totally fine. (laughs) Uh, But if you do like the content that you've seen from me, Uh, Check out the newsletter. Whenever I do a a random podcast, it'll go out through the newsletter. Uh, And with things being so tight turnaround at the moment, I'm doing a little bit of video content uh, directly on Twitter as well, which you should check out, I guess is a little bit of a hint for game four. I will probably look at that Spain pick and roll that they ran that gave a a Chris Paul uh, direct lane to the bucket when they really needed Mm. a bucket after that timeout. So I think Game 4 of the Lakers series was a Spain pick and roll that I highlighted, and Game 4 of the Nuggets was a Spain pick and roll as well. And and thanks for reminding me that we just won seven games in a row, Mike, because I'd forgotten, and that is just ridiculous at the same time. And, And thanks to you guys for inviting me on. As I said really been enjoying these podcasts from you guys and it's uh, a pleasure to be able to join you on one in such a a great atmosphere of closing out the series against the Nuggets guys.
3: Gladly anytime man and and I'll just echo that the video content David's talking about is fantastic so go and follow his Twitter because he's been doing those in-depth breakdowns after every game I will say It's funny that that specific play you're talking about. I know exactly which one you're talking about because it so vividly sticks out in my mind. Normally, it's like you're, you know, Spain pick and roll, like oh, the Suns do that like ten times a game. But this one, it it was there was a different element to it, a different quality that was beautiful. So, looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, definitely me too. Uh, Normally, at this point of the podcast, we tell you when we're going to be back. I don't actually know Uh, when when we're going to be back with another episode but whenever we're back we'll be previewing the western conference finals likely when we know who that opponent will be but we are very much looking forward to it thank you for everyone who's been listening to these post-game episodes and you'll hear from us again soon